Life Imprints Podcast, legacy stories that live beyond. Turn up the volume on today's riveting story with your host, Kenny Mock at KennyMock.com and leave your life imprint with your legacy story. Well, we are so excited about him is, uh, number one, he's the real deal. I, I've, I've met him, you know, he's, he's a very personal person and, uh, I'm just honored to interview him. I've, I've, I've been, uh, amazed from the, from a distance, but to get close with him and, and, uh, hear him speak today is, is a really great opportunity. Um, uh, your book is true faith and allegiance that, uh, Ken Abraham, uh, is who the guy was just uh, meeting with. He's, uh, he's done your book and, um, you lay out some really neat, um, things that happen in, in, in the book and, um, uh, one of the things that I, I think that's that's really really great is, is is just knowing about your family and uh I can I can relate to that um, my, my 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 family was farmers they came from a farming uh situation and and yet um I went all the way back to 733 and and uh one was in the civil war one was actually in the world war 2 and and so it's kind of interesting to to go back to your family and realize wow there's legacy here that I didn't even know about I, I didn't I didn't do the study, but you know, since ancestry and some of the other sites of research, you can go back and actually understand what your family. And so I've been doing this the catharsis and therapeutic walkthrough with my own my own story. But it's so it's, it's great to to hear you. You know that that you came from a family that uh, didn't have a lot of means. Uh, you know at first, and uh, but but very hardworking parents, and you know knowing that they had a two bedroom home and yet eight kids. That's pretty a uh, phenomenal story in itself. You know, you were, you were with three brothers, and then your sisters were there, the four sisters, and the mom and dad. They showed the example of what sent out in the living room, probably, and bedded down, right? Is that the, kind of the way it was? Yes, their bedroom was the living room. So, um, I, I, it's a great story. It's the American story, and, and as I travel the country, um, I meet so many people that have similar stories. I'm reminded that I was at a a dinner a few years ago where I was. Um, speaking and I was uh, helping to give an award to uh, Edward James almost uh, the, the fine Latin actor and um, I told I, be, I began my remarks by telling my story growing up in a small two-bedroom house they kids ten of us in total etc etc telling this story so almost gets up and he begins by talking about growing up in a house that didn't even have a floor so that was <laughs> the lesson he was I think he was trying to tell me hey you, yeah, think you had it right, you right. <laughs> that's right <laughs> But uh, it really is true. So many of us, um, that is what's so great about our country is the opportunities that are given to all of us if we simply get an education and work hard, apply ourselves, take advantage of opportunities, and look what, look at what can be accomplished. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, you, you, you have an amazing, very amazing story. Um, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, first of all, you were the 80th Attorney General of the United States, I, I found out that. And um, you also, in terms of, uh, you are the, I think if I'm not mistaken, the highest ranking Hispanic uh, official in, in the United States in terms of the government. Is, you know, is that, is that correct? Yeah, in, in terms of the executive branch. Executive branch. And by, and by terms of cabinet rank, the Department of Justice is generally viewed as the fourth highest ranking cabinet position um, behind state, treasury, and defense. Yeah. And um, uh, obviously, we have a, we have a Hispanic on the U.S. Supreme Court. That's a very important position as well. But yeah. in terms of within the executive branch, yes, I've held the highest yeah. position. What did Mom think of that? 
You know, it's funny. My mom's often was often interviewed, particularly when I first went to work in the White House as White House counsel. She was always asked by the media, well, aren't you proud of your son? And my mom always responded with the, the perfect answer, which was, I'm proud of all of my children. And that's, wow. you know, that's that's the way she was and is. Mm -hmm. And she's still alive today. She just turned 86 a few days ago. Um, but it's been a, I've had a remarkable life. I think she, and I'm really, really proud that my my mom has lived so long to see all of this. My dad died during my last semester in law school. And uh, I, I'd like to think he'd be very proud of, of the opportunities that I've had and the things that I've done. Yeah. You came from a great work, work, work ethic of your father and mom. Um, I want to skip forward a little bit to, uh, or maybe back, 9-11. Uh, you know, it's coming up in, you know, the 17 years um, since that happened. Uh, you had a bird's eye view that very few of us in America had, uh, Judge Gonzalez. And so it'd be great to hear uh, in our podcast today, what was it like to be there, uh, you know, when when all of a sudden the rest of us are spellbound watching on TV all of this. Where were you and where where was the, the cabinet, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and now then after you tell that, how, how you and George Bush actually – figured it out where to, where to get together well uh i was not in the cabinet i was uh, white house counsel so i was on the president's staff on uh, on 9-11 but i began my day by flying out of dallas airport uh, about 7 30 in the morning and the reason i mentioned that is because flight american 77 flew out of dallas the same morning about an hour within an hour of, the, of my flight and that's the same airplane that was hijacked and crashed into the pentagon so I was in the terminal at the same time as the hijackers, and I've always wondered about whether or not my path crossed with them. Did I ever see them? I, but I'll never know. Anyway, I was um, at the airport flying to Norfolk, Virginia to give a speech, and when I arrived at the hotel, the first tower had been hit, and my deputy was in the situation room and called me, and we talked about it. We we thought it was maybe an airplane. We, uh, a, you know, commercial airplane, didn't know really what was happening. So I gave my speech, and when the speech was over, the second tower had been hit, so we knew immediately we were under attack. We knew immediately it was Al-Qaeda. That summer, in, in the National Security Council meetings, we'd had a lot of discussions about Al-Qaeda threats, but we always assumed it would be outside the United States, not within our borders. But we knew immediately on 9-11, it was Al-Qaeda. So here I am in Norfolk, and, I, and the president is in Florida, uh, and I, I decide I've got to get back to Washington. I've got to be back at my post before the commander-in-chief returns. That was my mission. And we're stranded there. We go to the airport. By the time we get there, I was traveling with one, one of my lawyers. By the time we got there, uh, the air, air traffic had been canceled. And so I'm stranded. And we ran into a Navy officer, and she said, I can take you to Norfolk Naval Station. Maybe they can help you. So she took me there. They took me to the base commander, and I, told, I, I said, identify myself. I said, please try to get me back to Washington. So I watched the Towers fall sitting in, uh, at the base on a television like all the other, like every other American. Uh, we tried to account for our lawyers. Uh, I wanted to make sure my deputy was in charge of making sure all the legal issues that had to be dealt with were being dealt with. And then finally, uh, late afternoon, I got word the Navy got clearance to fly me back to Washington on a Navy helicopter. Got back about 2.30. They took me to an underground bunker where Cheney was at and the other senior members of the administration. The president had not yet returned. I, wanted, I, I worked on issues related to legal authorities of the president during this kind of t situation. At about 7 o'clock, we got word the president was going to be arriving in, on Marine One. So I went out to the Oval Office porch with Karen Hughes, the communications director, 
Karen and I had worked for Bush in Texas, so we knew him really well. And we watched as Marine One brought him home. And, you know, when people ask me of all the experiences, the things that you remember the most, what stands out? It is that, that moment, watching the, pre the Marine One bring President Bush home that historic day. We knew, I, I really wanted to see his face um, because I knew him pretty well. And we greeted him as he approached us. He didn't say a word. He just kind of nodded and walked right by us. And behind the Oval Office is a small study and a small dining room. We went into the dining room. We were met there by Andy Carr, the chief of staff, Condi Rice, national security advisor, and Ari Flash, the press secretary. And there the president began thinking about, thinking out loud, okay, we're at war. What are we going to do? We talked about what he was going to say in his speech to the nation that night. And I remember going home about midnight. My deputy took me home because my car was in the same lot as some of the, uh, the terrorists. Apparently all the cars had been impounded. So I couldn't I didn't have transportation. And then the next day we arrived about six in the morning back at the White House. And it was a brand new world. Well, yeah. that was my day. Well, yeah. Were you able to communicate? That following day with the president? Oh, no. sure. Uh, yeah. As you might imagine, the next day, his his day was slammed with meeting after meeting yeah. after meeting. And I was in a lot of those meetings. I'll you tell were you, his chief counsel. Right? I was telling you the story. You know, he kept talking about being at war. We were at war in these in these meetings. And the lawyer in me that started thinking, well, now, if we're at war, it's going to trigger statutes, a statutory authority. It's going to probably tr uh, trigger treaty obligations. It might affect uh, private contracts. So maybe we should not say we're at war until we really look at this thing. And so I took him aside after one of these meetings and I explained to him why we might not want to say just yet that we're at war. And he kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> he said, you lawyers can call it whatever you want to. As far as I'm concerned, we're at war. And that's the last time we ever had that conversation, I can assure you. Um, but yeah, his days well, was slammed with meeting after meeting. And of course that weekend, uh, all of us went up to Camp David, and we spent the weekend up there going through all the legal issues and going through all, everything else, intelligence and defense, treasury. I mean, it was all hands on deck, uh, certainly for those first few weeks and months. It was wow. pretty intense. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, go go for a little further. You know, I, I know they got a movie on this, but I guess uh, when the president does his annual speech at the, at the beginning of the year, uh, all of a sudden— you know, you they put you up in a plane, right? Because uh, yeah, <laughs> right. you've got to be that, that one that's The not... designated survivor. <laughs> yeah, right. It's part of our continuity government plan to make sure that at any one time there is someone who, who is acting as president of the United States. And, and when you congregate the president, the vice president, everyone else in the line of presidential succession, and if there were to be an explosion at the Capitol and everyone's killed, someone in the line of presidential succession has to be alive. Yeah. In 2007, I was advised by the president's chief of staff that I would be that person. And they gave me a couple of choices about what I could do. And I said, I want to be on this airplane. So uh, I remember arriving at Andrews Air Force Base. And there to meet me was a, a member of every major department and agency. And they carry these thick binders of classified procedures and protocols to advise me in the event the unthinkable happens at the Capitol. <laughs> like so we take off. And um, I received wow. a number of classified briefings and then uh, settled in to watch the president uh, on a monitor. And, and you know, it really hit me then. Um, I've advised President Bush through 65 state and federal executions, through two wars. So I've, I've been involved in some pretty big decisions before, but sitting there, it, I thought, oh, my gosh, if something happened surreal. back at the Capitol, would I and this team be up to governing a wounded nation? It was quite a sobering moment. But uh, yeah. President Bush finished his speech, 
as soon as he left the Capitol, we were return we were ordered to return back to Washington. And I often I tell this story to audiences around the country, and I always conclude by saying that's a close to ever come to being your president of the United <laughs> yeah. States. But it was really uh, it was unique experience and uh, should be reassuring. Well, maybe not reassuring, maybe not, uh, but I think reassuring about the fact that we have plans in place to deal with these kinds of contingencies. Yeah. Well, Judge, you you also helped uh, <clears throat> pass, you know, strengthening our our legislation on, on security and, um, you know, fought, you know, very much that we needed to um, we need to get the, the information that we need. Um, and that 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 was a tough that was a tough uh, road because not only you but the president you know we're we're under attack just just for trying to oh, I call it not necessarily spitting in the hand of Fiji but spitting at the at the hand that's trying to keep us safe and I, I you know I I will I, I kind of in reading through some of Ken's book I, I saw that was a very difficult time. You know, uh, throughout our history, there's always been a back and forth between security and liberty, um, depending on the circumstances. You know, if we get attacked, most Americans support and favor security. And then as the threats go away, the pendulum swings more towards yeah. towards liberty and sure. privacy. And obviously, um, we had to make some very difficult, the president had to make some very difficult decisions in response to the 9-11 attacks. And we had to take some pretty tough measures, and some of them were controversial. I want to tell you, um, anyone listening to this, that everything we did, we did consistent with what we thought the law allowed us to do. Sure. President Bush was very clear in saying we're not going to do anything in violation of the Constitution. So the lawyers worked very hard on issues relating to the war on terror. There are some critics who say that the war was over lawyered, that the lawyers were too much involved. But we were involved because President Bush wanted to make sure we didn't do the the wrong thing in fighting this new kind of war against a new type of yeah. enemy. It was, we had never was, done this before. Everybody, right? Absolutely. And so, uh, but yeah, there were controversies and uh, did we make mistakes? People don't understand how hard these decisions are. And if you don't think a president, an attorney general, whatever at this level, isn't going to make mistakes, you don't have an appreciation how tough this is. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes. Hopefully you can recover from them. You learn from them and you move on. Obviously, 2017, you know, you you had uh, and president again, you know, getting getting hammered on about a lot of things. But you in your in, in, in the book, you know, you honorably wanted to go to to President Bush and say, hey, I think it's time, you know, for me to to exit here. Was that tough? I, I think, you know, there's no greater privilege for an American citizen than to go to work every day at the White House. Uh, I, being the attorney general and working at the Department of Justice as a lawyer, it's a tremendous privilege to be a member of the pre a president's cabinet, no question about it. But in terms of pure joy and fun, um, to go to work every day at the White House, to serve a president that you honestly, that you like and you believe in and want to help be successful, it just doesn't get any better than that. So as a lawyer, I have been blessed, I think, to to hold the two two of the three best jobs in America, White House counsel, attorney general. I think the third is the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, and so I look back in my life and I think, you know, I'm the only lawyer in the history of our nation who's held, who's been both White House counsel and attorney general, only Hispanic. Yeah, it's been a good it's been a good ride. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. I look back on it with with fondness. I miss being involved in those kinds of decisions, but not these are not forever. And, and yeah. I appreciate that. But yeah. I, I'm 
I don't look back with, with um, sadness. I look back with um, just joy, pride that it happened. That's and, great. And grateful that it happened. That's, that's really powerful what you're saying because, you know, my, my story is about leaving your life imprint. And, and part of it is, is not just the joys of, of success, but, but learning from the things that are not successful and, and, and realizing God still uses those, right? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, uh, and you're going to make mistakes in life, uh, some bigger than others. And, you know, you learn from them and you yeah. can't be consumed with defeat or failure. Take it and use it to make yourself better. Yeah. And uh, I can't there are very few things that that uh, as a human being you cannot overcome. Uh, so I think it's very, very important to remain positive. For me, I'm, I'm opt very optimistic by nature. I'm, I'm opt optimistic about my life, about God's plan for me. I'm optimistic about America. And I, I think um, I think that's important. Do, are, are we safe? Are we safe today? Uh, and, 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 and what are what are the things that might concern you? Uh, I, I'm not privy to the intelligence briefings that I used to get every morning as as the attorney general of the United States. But obviously we have some challenges. You know, you look at North Korea, you look at China, you look at look at Iran. Cyber is a big, big concern. Uh, we yeah. live in a different world today. Yeah. You know, when I first went to work for uh, Texas Governor Bush, email was just starting. And I didn't even let him have an email account because we weren't sure how, how it all would work. Smart man. And, right. <laughs> I, what and, you want, what you <laughs> so you're right. It, it's, there's a lot of danger there in the way that we communicate electronically. But anyway, cyber, I think, is the next frontier in terms of where we're going to fight our battles. And, and uh, I, I worry about... I worry about where we are on that. Uh, it's a new kind of threat, and hopefully we'll be able to deal with it effectively. Um, you, you, uh, you know, when you look at somebody like you, you think, well, he'll have no problem getting employment or a job or, or anything like that. And yet in your book, you know, you, you, all of a sudden you have all these accolades of being the attorney general, and then uh, all of a sudden, whoa, what do I do now? That was an interesting time in your life, right? And, and, uh, and yet there were some men that um, – you know, in a church that kind of ministered to you through that time. You want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, after I left office, uh, there was sort of a, a dark ages kind of period where I wasn't sure what was next. And I went from a life where you're going 100 miles an hour, and all of a sudden it's like zero. You're five miles an hour. And, and I really wasn't sure what I would do next. I uh, wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to practice law. And um, there were some investigations that were ongoing by the Inspector General at the Department of Justice on some of the decisions that I was involved with. And so, yes, I, I went to church uh, with a group of individuals, and um, we were in a men's group, and uh, they were very, very encouraging. And, and it really gave me hope for my future. And uh, it, But it was probably one of the darkest periods of my life. Um, and, and in some ways, you know, it's interesting. I kind of felt like I had failed despite mm. everything that I had accomplished. I felt like my work was not done. And one of the things that I really am gratified about what I do today as dean of a law school is I feel like I'm preparing the next generation of leaders. Mm. And I talk to them about their opportunities and their obligations as, as lawyers. Um, and then I want to see them become leaders uh, locally, state, at the national level. And so I'm in a really good place right now. Yeah, I, I was impressed that, you know, they called you Al and at at the group the, the men's group because you know it, it was a, it was kind of their way I think of saying hey you're one of us you know and vice versa you know that yeah you and also remind me hey you know put kind of put, put me in my place <laughs> and not not that I 
I don't think I needed it, but I, you know, it, at the end of the day, I'm just like everyone else. Um, and, uh, I need to be, I need to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of, kind of leading us down, you know, towards the end here. I, I, I really, you know, you're an inspiration to, to me and to so many people by, by your life story. Um, and, and leaving imprints just just here today um what is the what's the imprint though there's another there's another part of your life that's very important to you your wife and your family and well, uh I, I was very intrigued about that you know this how special that relationship is tell us a little bit about your family and, and what kind of imprints you you they left on your life and well what i've what i've learned is that there's nothing more important than family uh, there's nothing as satisfying or as rewarding as that loving embrace of a spouse or a joyful hug of a child. There's no prosecution, no case. It just, there's nothing, no job more important than that. Uh, it is so vitally important to understand that and, and, and appreciate that. And so obviously, and I'm sure many of your guests have said the same thing, my greatest legacy are going to be my children. And we just mm -hmm. found out this weekend, this past weekend, that I'm going to be a granddad for the first time. And uh, I'd like to think yes. that, at, you know, I don't know whether I'll be around uh, long enough to influence my grandchild. I don't know whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think that that, that grandchild is going to know something about me, either directly from me or through my, through my son. And uh, I'll have some influence on that. So, obviously, mm -hmm. family, legacy, that's the yeah. most important legacy. I'm also gratified by... The fact that, um, you know, Neil Gorsuch, who's on the Supreme Court, worked for me at Justice. Brett Kavanaugh, who's been nominated to the Supreme Court, was one of my lawyers in the White House. I felt good. <laughs> the Solicitor General at the Department of Justice was one of my lawyers in the White House. Wow. The, the General Counsel of the CIA, General Counsel at State, they were my lawyers in the White House. That's a powerful legacy wow. that my lawyers have gone on to do these great things. And then finally, of course, as I mentioned earlier, um, the influence that I have on the students at Belmont Law School, I think is important. And I'd like to think that someday, uh, one or certainly hopefully more than one, they're going to do some great things in this country. Yeah. We're sitting in, in a place that's a legacy place, uh, Dave Ramsey. And uh, I just want to, you know, before we, 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 uh, we end, just to thank him and all the, the crew back here, James and, and all the group back there, uh, amazing people. And, uh, but, uh, you know, just to say that, you know, I, I knew Dave when, when he had shag carpet. Okay. He wasn't, he was Dave What's Ramsey. wrong with shag carpet? No, no, Come no, on, well, man. I, I had shag carpet too. I'm not, not saying, but what's, what's so great is to see him th to be the Dave Ramsey. We're Dave Ramsey disciples. We've taken his yeah. course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, he's, he's, he's just a phenomenal person. We can't be a, a country in debt. Uh, and that's a, that's another you, big you know consideration. Absolutely. And, and, yes. and I, if there's anything that Dave has taught, not only people like me and families that were in debt and getting now out, is that our, our country needs to, to realize uh, it's a powerful message to our country, too, that we don't. It's, it's a security issue, I would think, that our country needs to remember. And that is uh, to get out of debt and, and stay out of debt so we can be pro a prosperous nation. And because all these, I'd, I'd hate for all these people, these countries that we owe money to, one, one of us uh, all of a sudden pay, pay up now. So I'm, I'm getting the word out too, you know, as, as a Dave disciple to say, hey, you know, we, hopefully, uh, you know, people like yourself and others will, will help us influence our country to, to do better. 
you know, with our resources and our uh, things. But we'll see. I'm with <laughs> you. I'll do the very best I can. And I agree. I agree 100 percent. I think the deficit and I'm disappointed in Republicans. Uh, at one point, this was a big, a big point for them. And yeah. uh, for some reason, they, I think that we've lost our way and we need to get we need to find our way back. Yeah. Well, it's an honor, honor to spend some time with you. You're, you're, you're great. You're great. You're great as everything more than I ever thought. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're, we're very appreciative. The book is called Leaving Your Life Imprint. Um, Attorney, Attorney Gonzalez is, is without a doubt one of the, the special people we've, we've met today and uh, so many great people. But uh, he brought a perspective that, uh, especially coming up to 9-11, that I think all of you as, as are, that are watching our podcast can really appreciate. And uh, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Life Imprints Podcast. Legacy stories that live beyond. Turn up the volume on today's riveting story with your host, Kenny Mock, at kennymock.com. And leave your life imprint with your legacy story.